You're listening to the ProcureTech Podcast, your weekly show for all that's cooking in the digital procurement space. Yes, we've got the hottest startups, thought leadership and conversation from visionary industry experts and definitely no stiff corporate content. I'm your host, James Meads, procurement pro, digital nomad and ProcureTech fanboy. And now here's this week's show. Yes, welcome to another episode of the ProcureTech Podcast, where every episode will bring you everything that is fun and exciting and innovative and definitely not boring or corporate in the digital procurement space. And we're continuing with our mini-series of influencers and industry experts getting their thoughts and nuggets of advice of everything that's happening in the digital procurement world. So without any further ado, I'd like to introduce today's guest who I don't think needs any introduction, but I will do anyway. Uh, he was a guest back on uh, back in series one, episode eight, I think it was of the podcast back in 2020. A lot has changed since then, which I'm sure he's going to tell us all about. So very warm welcome, Daniel Barnes. Thank you for coming on the show. Hey, James. That was, uh, I was just thinking as you were going through that, I was like, when was it I was on your podcast? And then it was 2020, right? Like, it that's... was one of the earlier episodes. Yeah, number eight, I think it wow. was. I'll have to double check. Maybe number nine. Yeah, I'll have to double check. But yeah, it was uh, It was back in spring 2020. Yes, indeed. And a lot has changed since then, hasn't it? So yeah, just give us a quick overview of what you were doing then and what you're doing now and what you've been up to in between. Yeah, no, I can definitely go through that because yeah, the, those two years kind of flew by from, and I guess, from being a consultant in the defense space to find in that COVID kind of destroyed all the pipeline of work in that space and then having to... Yeah, I know that feeling. <laughs> yeah, like it, it was painful, right? Like it, it, everything was on the up, money was good, business was good. And then, yeah, so I pivoted, joined a fintech for sort of 18 months. And during that 18 months of working at that fintech, uh, started looking into sort of procurement tech and contract tech and what was out there. And sourced and implemented a product called Gatekeeper. And then in March, started talking with Gatekeeper, with Patrick, the CEO, about like, I want to come join Gatekeeper because I feel like I can have a bigger impact in kind of showing people the huge benefits of using tech in the procurement space, which I just couldn't get working in like an individual team or just working in within one business. You can't really get that impact. You have that impact within the team, but I kind of maybe naively and still do think that we, we, and like, this is why I love what you do. We can have such an impact on getting others along into this sort of digital transformation journey. And it kind of feels weird. We're still talking about digital transformation in 2022. Uh, so yeah, <laughs> in, uh, back in June, I, I joined Gatekeeper as a community ho- uh, community manager, sorry, to get my title right. And what does that mean? Like in short, building a community for Gatekeeper, uh, doing a lot of, content, for leadership content around procurement and contract management, risk, third-party risk management, those kind of things, and also working with Gatekeeper to help like position the business, work on product uh, development and things like that, really. So yeah, that's a lot's changed, really, just in the last six months, in the last uh, two years since I was last on your podcast. Indeed. And for those that don't know, you've actually got a law background, haven't you? Maybe just Talk a little bit about yeah. that because that kind of fits in with obviously Gatekeeper being a contract lifecycle management platform. 
that fits in quite nicely with that, doesn't it? So, you know, you, you got into procurement, but you've got a postgraduate in, in law, right? Yeah, yeah. So I have a, yeah, so I have my uh, two degrees. So like my undergrad is commercial law, then my uh, postgraduate, my master's was in, I'm trying to think of the right name, <laughs> the right title is something like uh, information technology and commerce law, but in short, covering commercial law, uh, like cyber internet law and intellectual property law. And yeah, so like I originally started doing a lot of commercial type work and by commercial, it was still supplier focused, procurement focused, but it let me get on and work with all of like the contracts, framework agreements in government and private sector defense companies. And I kind of just continued that to this day. Uh, so I've yeah, kind of focused more so recently in the last couple of years as a contract management professional, being able to kind of hold my own against most actual, like, properly trained legal people, like solicitors, barristers, legal counsel across the world. And it's been, yeah, fascinating, right, uh, doing, that, doing that kind of role uh, lately. So how did technology impact you in that role? I mean, obviously, you implemented Gatekeeper, which ultimately sort of laid the, laid the foundations to, to the move over to Gatekeeper, what you're doing now. But when you came into, you say fintech, so I'm guessing, I'm guessing they were a scale-up, which typically would have had quite an immature or greenfield procurement function, I imagine. So what was the state of play when you got there and, and what did you identify was necessary in terms of tech? Yeah, so great question. Uh, when I joined the fintech, actually, I was the very last person to join the team uh, out of everyone. And everyone else was more focused on supplier management, procurement side of things. And fortunately, there was a bit of process starting to be mapped out. And the tech space, uh, maybe i just give you a, a, an idea of the tech stack. We actually had a CLM that when I joined. And we were... Actually, it's quite weird. Joined a team that had only been set up for sort of six, seven months, but they were, we grew the maturity so fast that even when I joined, there was already a level of maturity, still like I would say like base level maturity here. So we had a CLM and we had uh, other pieces of software like Trello, right? To project manage everything in a Kanban style. We're still obviously using right. Zoom, email. We're still using Excel for all of our data uh, analysis and just trying to track stuff. It was very disjointed because the CLM that we had was basically a repository that allows you to store metadata in it. Didn't really let you do anything else. It was really painful to work with. Uh, I, I, I'm not going to mention the names of the, the software here uh, or anything. No, to, but it was just essentially, though, in terms of functionality, clunky. just a fancy version of SharePoint, essentially. Yeah, uh, I, I, and I, I think even more simpler, it was probably just an Excel okay. spreadsheet. <laughs> behind the scenes, yeah. right? And then a user interface was slapped on top of it. And that's how it worked. Because when I got the data out, it felt like that's how it had been uh, set up for the, uh, right. the change. Okay. So, so I guess, like, yeah, going into a fintech <laughs> space, it's a, a scale-up environment. Yeah, you're, you're correct on that. And scale-ups are, are terrifying to work in because everything happens faster than you can ever imagine. And you soon find out that if you're doing all the manual admin work, and like all of these really tedious tasks that so many uh, job specs seem to have for new starters, like come in and you can manage our databases and you can reach out to suppliers to chase up on documents and do all of this. Like you suddenly realize it's almost impossible to, to do that and actually do any work that adds value, like go out to market and do insights there, like figure out who 
you can go to other than this one supplier that maybe is an incumbent or maybe is one of the more senior persons, like they've worked with them somewhere else and they just want to use them here and there's not, there's not going to be any competition or any uh, sourcing activities. And you, you want to be able to do those kind of things so that you want to push the business down a, a path of let's go out and source these uh, requirements, but you don't have any time to do it. And you just suddenly realize like it's yeah. painful. And the and I think the worst part of that is the work is boring. Like you don't, you're, you're suddenly realize like how much you're paid to just to do the most mundane work that you could have a virtual assistant do it for pennies or pounds wow. anywhere else in the world. Right. And that's so bizarre to, because I mean, I, yeah. yeah, that's it. But listening to you say that, you know, I mean, that's one of the reasons, not the only reason, but it's one of the reasons why I ultimately left corporate that I felt like I've spoken a little bit about this on LinkedIn as well, but I felt well, like a very well-paid admin assistant a lot of the time, yeah. but yeah. in a te- in a tech business, that really surprises me because if there would be any industry sector that would get this, it would. Yeah. No, yeah, no, 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 you're you're right there. But they, we actually did get it, and that's why we got the investment to to go out and test the market and go source a okay. a system that would change. We we got to the point where we're like, this isn't working. Uh, we were having our risk committee meetings. We we're having team meetings. We we're talking with our uh, chief commercial officer at the time, chief operating officer that like he became. And we're just like, this, this genuinely just doesn't work right now. Like we are not going to deliver any value to the business unless you allow us to go out, run a, like some sort of competitive exercise, go and see what's out there on the market. I think we looked at about 10 different suppliers in the CLM and even uh, wider procurement space initially. And we settled on eventually uh, Gatekeeper as the best solution at the time to kind of do everything we needed it to do for us. And then we were able to get quite a large buy-in across the entire business that we're going to change how we do things. Things weren't going to come in through email or Slack. They're going to have to go and complete a form in Gatekeeper to like raise requests and formalize this entire process. So we definitely had that back in and we definitely understood it. And I think that maybe that is... Like when you when you were saying like oh I'd be surprised that a tech company didn't get it I think tech companies really do get this and they there might be a bit more of a push to do it in that greenfield state or just past that state yeah so that you don't end up with this huge legacy so when you try and implement a, a solution when you've got like legacy documentation everywhere yeah it's disjointed it's in share drive like SharePoint share drives everywhere that becomes really difficult uh, to to implement a rollout. And I guess as well in a scale up like that, you're not going to have someone that's worried about having to justify their existence in future if they, if you bring in a digital platform like you may have in in larger corporates, right? So, so I mean, yeah, I I I do get exactly what you're saying that it's more a case of you realised the situation was untenable the way that you were doing things, but there was openness to listen to what needed to be done, and and they 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 gave you the, well, not necessarily time, but they gave you the budget and the and the autonomy to go out and do the market research and make a recommendation. Yeah, no, certainly. And I think your point there about people being worried about losing their jobs, we definitely had conversations around this, right? Like we were like, this isn't going to replace anyone on the current team, right? Like this, this is no way trying to get rid of people. But what it might enable us to do is not hire an admin person to come in and do all the admin work for us. And we automated everything and like an admin, like procurement admin or, you know, like a really junior role, like someone just coming in. Like there was just no need to have someone yeah. coming in and do that work. We literally automated every single part of what that 
job spec would have looked like. And then when we did need to hire, we just hired at a way higher level to actually bring value to the business. And because we had the software doing like the, the tedious work for us. That's it, isn't it? And so often it's category managers that end up doing that because there are no admin assistants because a lot of corporates just fired them all in the last recession and, so <laughs> yeah. probably, will, and probably will do again in the one that's just yeah. around the corner. But yeah, we could go down a whole other rabbit hole on that one. <laughs> Definitely. Hey, so just a quick interlude to let you know about procurementsoftware.site. This is a new website that I recently launched to give you, the listener, a free-to-access intuitive guide to digital procurement technology. You can filter on a multitude of different criteria and pick out a short list of procurement software solutions that are relevant to your business and your needs in less time than it takes to boil an egg. No corporate subscriptions, no complex jargon, and definitely no pay-to-play model. We are a completely transparent, open book, and we really want to get your feedback on what we can really do to make this user experience better and constantly improve so as we're providing value to you. Check out procurementsoftware.site. And now let's get right back to this week's podcast. So... Based on, I mean, obviously you've actually seen and breathed and implemented this and spotted a problem and implemented a solution. Could you give me one area of procurement where you feel that technology will have or or is having the biggest potential impact? It could either be that example or something that you've seen out there in the wider world in terms of something that you think is a game changer. Because obviously with with your own podcast as well, you've interviewed a few startup founders too. Yeah, maybe I can share a couple of views. Like definitely my my number one, and like I, I like to keep this super simple, right? It is the replacement of manual tasks through automation. And that automation typically happens through artificial intelligence doing something along the way. And as soon as we talk about AI, right? Like I know like people like shut down, they're like, oh, someone else talking about <laughs> AI and procurement or contracts. Like AI isn't that amazing or like you can't do everything. But what AI can do is like move things along the process. So what like we've done at Gatekeeper, for example, is we have workflows, the Kanban view, uh, and it it doesn't require me or a user to come in and like move stuff along the process. It can do stuff along the way, whether it's extracting data, creating records, reaching out to people. And like, it's just incredible, right? Like it really, really does help. And that's what I really like about any of the tech in this space is largely what it's trying to do is reduce the amount of time that a user or a procurement person or a contract person needs to spend just moving stuff along. And that's what I find to be so empowering as a, yeah. a user of technology. Because I can remember like the Rawls and James, like you'll probably like remember some like the early days, like doing stuff like this. Like I, I could spend all day working in an Excel spreadsheet. Like now to the point where like Excel gives me anxiety just to look at it, where I would just be like copying and pasting data from like a finance system into our procurement like tracker and then copying it into an email to send off to someone. It was just so disjointed. Yet like at the time, because of the limitations with the tech, it was probably the best and most efficient way to do it. But that's not work. That is not doing procurement in my eyes or doing contract management. That's just... No, it's busy work, isn't it? It's busy work, right? So the elimination of of busy work 
Um, and then maybe like one other example, and this is the real example that this is one example I just love. And it's from a company called Circular, who I had on my World of Procurement podcast. And I think they do wonderful things in that they do the traceability of the entire supply chain and you know, all of our devices. They're a sustainability platform, aren't they? Yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. So, right, like, yeah, like it, they, I, I'm not sure what their current like market in position when, like, when I interviewed them maybe a year and a half ago, it's more like traceability as a service, TAAS, uh, or something like that. But yeah, like in short, they're trying to make sure that the, the raw materials that are coming out of the ground and then are ending up in our phones, in our cars, uh, are devoid really of slave labor, uh, anything like that, corruption, and is using blockchain technology to make sure that there's an auditable, trackable history of all of this. And I think things like that, are really a game changer. They also do stuff on the skip-free emissions and, and, and other stuff. And I, I just think when you have players doing huge innovations like that in the supply chain, it's only going to benefit all of us as a society as well. No, agreed. And I think what your answer sort of alluded to one sort of more general point that it's relatively solution agnostic, but the general concept of being able to automate or, or simplify or even eliminate, in some cases, administrative processes through, through automation or through AI is kind of a common theme through, you mentioned CLM, it's the same in source to pay. Okay, not so much in material traceability, that's more blockchain-based, but yeah. it is a common trait across its e-sourcing. Spend analytics is another one where you know, that, that same principle is applied that, you know, you're not having to do as much data crunching and as, and as much repetitive administrative work, regardless of, of the solution or the platform. So yeah, no, I, I would completely agree. Yeah. So if we think about technology and its impact on our profession, you know, we, we talk a lot about is procurement time to shine now with all of these supply chain challenges and, and COVID and now, you know, geopolitical risk. To what extent versus all of the other stuff that's lurking out there? You know, if you think of inflation, fight for talent, supply chain instability, sustainability scope three, to what extent do you think technology will be the driver versus everything else that's having an impact? Yeah, sure. So I always, and, and maybe I, 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 I don't know the quote or whoever said this, but in short, there's whenever there's technical technological advancements, there's normally some advancement in the profession that goes alongside it, right? And that's how I I, I kind of think we're prime time for that for for procurement at the moment. But one like really like I'll, I'll bring it back to like almost like a selfish view within procurement. I just think like based on everything I've said so far as well during this this conversation, like it just enables us to attract such better talent early on. Like how I look at this is that yeah. teams like sales or HR, like sales literally has Salesforce, right? Like the, 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 the all encompassing CRM made a new category in like the late nineties, early two thousands, dominates the market and has created a huge ecosystem for sales professionals to have amazing technology to do their job. And procurement was using what SAP, Oracle, legacy, uh, huge ERPs with little modules, little add-ons that I like when I got into the profession, in, I'm trying to think when I joined, like 2015, like, like after I graduated from my uh, post for my master's, like I was using those same modules then, like 20 years after that, they like 20 years after they've been deployed, right? And like it's just not going to attract anyone going forwards. That like the, I, when I look at the Gen Zs, 
do they want to come in and just move data across like spreadsheets and get stuck doing busy work, as you said, James? Like definitely not. But maybe we are going to have like a really cool 10 years or so where we have way more new talent coming in because the job roles aren't going to say, come in and manage this really boring stuff whilst everyone else who's more senior do it is doing all the cool stuff. <laughs> like it's just like come in and get stuck in doing really cool stuff because we've got technology that enables us to get rid of a lot of this boring stuff. Like that's how I look at it from a very selfish perspective of like trying to make this profession better. And I just think it's going to yeah be really enlightening for the profession. And I think maybe even get some like more diverse people into the profession, different backgrounds. Yeah, it's just going to enable a, a, a lot, but companies need to actually take this opportunity on and also rework all of their job specs and everything else. Like this isn't just like tech can't solve it in isolation. There's still a lot of work to do to make this appealing uh, to new people joining the profession. Yeah, you hit on a couple of things there that I'll pick up on and, and the job descriptions and, you know, getting HR to reflect the reality of a role in procurement, I, <laughs> I do think is, an, is a challenge. Interestingly, I was, I was at a conference in June and there was a panel discussion about, uh, uh, about, about this, you know, how can we attract and retain talent into procurement? And one of the ladies on the panel did actually say, you know, making procurement sexy enough that all of the apprentices don't want to go and work in marketing or HR is a challenge because they, yeah. I mean, she, she was from like a medium sized German business, quite a traditional family owned business. And, and yeah, she, she was saying, you know, we're still seen as just the police or the people sat in the corner that push paper. And to your point, it's, yeah, you're exactly right. Sales has got that notion that it's a lot sexier than working in procurement. And you know, to some extent, maybe it still is, but I do think that technology and some of the more exciting stuff now about about you know sustainability if you're really passionate about that or about you know some of the more more fun things that you can do with data as data gets better and machines get smarter I hundred percent I think you're spot on yeah I think your point on sustainability just got me uh, my brain firing there because I think a lot of the gen Zs uh, that demographic is particularly associated with uh, having strong ethical beliefs in uh, sustainability really conscious of where they buy stuff. And imagine just being able to sell to them, like from a role perspective, like you can actually impact what millions of people across the world buy. Like there's nothing cooler than that for me anyway. Like maybe I'm the, the odd one out, but I think it's a really cool proposition that they could potentially have there. Yeah, especially in, in industries that have perhaps not had the best reputation historically if they're genuinely keen to clean up their act in that regard. Yeah, no, 100%. I mean, so with your new role now around community management, the last thing that I wanted to ask you was, how essential do you think that is in terms of, you know, building a brand and marketing a SaaS product? Because, I mean, most companies still don't have it. I mean, I know a couple of them do. Tealbook does, and there are a couple of others that do. But it's still very much in its infancy. So Gatekeeper in that sense are or I guess an early adopter, but, you know, it's not easy to grow. As you know, it's not easy to grow a community or an app off of something like Facebook or LinkedIn on a separate agnostic platform. So, you know, how does that fit into the overall marketing strategy without giving us away any trade secrets? <laughs> well, firstly, it's a really good question. It's one that we have, uh, well, we've been talking about since March time when I was when I first started talking to Patrick, because we didn't know what I was going to come in and do, right? Like, we just knew, like, it made sense. And this one felt like it was a, a good fit, like, come in and do this community role. But in large, like, Gatekeeper already has 
a, a community in some ways, right? So all of our customers, so the, the, the model at Gatekeepers is maybe a bit different to a lot of SaaS, like it's unlimited users. So it's not like yeah. a, a procurement team or a contract management team will get like five seats. Like everyone in their business can use the platform. And we also have something called like this ideas hub or ideas forum where users of the platform can say like, oh, we want this change or we would like to see this on the platform or we need some content around this to help us. So we're already having people that are using the platform kind of help direct us. So that's one key play on a community aspect is have your customers want to help grow the product. Obviously, selfishly for them, like that's obviously going to help them get more use out of the product. It also enables us to make a better product for them. But then, yeah, like you're right. Like how do you go about growing a platform or a community off of a platform such as Facebook or LinkedIn? That's super tricky, right? And really like, our focus isn't there at the moment. Uh, that's probably a bit more of a like a medium to long term play, right? And really, at the moment, it's all about content. And can we make content that genuinely helps people? Like James, you all know, like <laughs> in the space, like you can go and read some content, and the content is devoid of anything valuable. It can just be very superficial. And so that's that's kind of like what we're trying to challenge. Like we've got myself coming into to Gatekeeper, who's been there and done a, a huge amount of stuff. We've also got another writer that's done a whole bunch of stuff. There's people in the business that have worked in this area as well. Like Patrick, a CEO, who has like run other businesses. He's worked as like a commercial consultant and done loads of stuff. And we have so much knowledge in the business. It's about like trying to take all of that knowledge and make really useful content at like whether it's articles or videos, soon to be podcasts. And then like, how do we distill that so that people across social media can get value from it? And that's kind of like, uh, there's a few plays there, but largely like, we need to grow the, the Gatekeeper LinkedIn uh, page. But like you'll know, <laughs> business pages on LinkedIn are probably like some of the hardest pages to grow. Like they just don't really want, like LinkedIn don't really show the content as much because they want you to use ads, which all makes sense. But that's why like someone like me coming in who gets good viewership and stuff can like start bringing some topics to mind that we're like super passionate about and then making like thought leadership uh, content around like in the form of webinars about whatever we want really, because we're quite fortunate. Like our platform, it's kind of like multifaceted. It's like a contract lifecycle and vendor management platform, but we've also got this third party risk management part coming in to really cover like a really wide (laughs) amount of uh, this space and so there's so much content we can make in that that area. So really at the moment, it's a content focus. How can we make better content that actually helps people? When people get content typically that helps them, they're more willing to say, hey, like we align to you. Can we come and join you? Whether that is join a community in the future and maybe they're not a customer or maybe it's, hey, we we align with this business. Maybe we could uh, see if this, uh, this gatekeeper solution can do something for us. So... It's quite a basic play in that sense. It's about putting value out first and foremost, and then good stuff will happen one way or another. Got it. Now, it's uh, always curious to hear, you know, community management when I hear that title, because, yeah, you, you raised a couple of good points there that it is hard to grow business pages on LinkedIn. And if you've got a bit of influence or presence on your personal profile that can help elevate, I guess, Gatekeeper as a brand, then you know, I can, can see why you'd be a valuable <laughs> commodity to them for sure. Yeah, um, for sure. Final question, Dan, if, if anyone wants to learn more about what you're doing now at Gatekeeper or wants to check out your podcast, uh, where's the best place that they can get in touch? Yeah, it's a great question. Like 
my my sole focus on, on any social media really is LinkedIn. Absolutely love the platform. Uh, like I, I can give you the link for that. But the, yeah, Daniel Barnes on uh, on LinkedIn. And then really, yeah, like what what are the, where else can you find us? I think gatekeeperhq.com is probably the best place to see what we're doing at Gatekeeper. And yeah, like in terms of the podcast, I had my World of Procurement podcast. It's kind of on the, the back burner now. I'll soon have a podcast coming out from Gatekeeper. We're, we're yet to give it a name. Like naming a podcast, James, genuinely is harder than naming children or pets or anything. Like I have been like for like three months trying to think of like, what can we call this podcast? Still have no like real concrete <laughs> idea on uh, what it's going to be called, but it will be out soon, but hopefully with a name as well uh, by then. I wish I could think of a witty name in five seconds to uh, to give you that, but I'll uh, yeah. I'll take that as a task. <laughs> it's, it's, it's not going to be. <laughs> Dan, been always, as always, it's a pleasure to catch up. Uh, keep in touch. Good luck with your new venture. And yeah, excited to hear the new podcast when it comes out. So uh, yeah. yeah, for anyone that wants to connect with Dan, we'll leave all of those links in the show notes. Okay, so that was Dan talking all about his new venture at Gatekeeper and some of his history around uh, moving into a growing procurement team in a fintech and uh, and from his background way back as uh, as a contractor in the defense industry. Thanks again for listening. We know there are a lot of procurement podcasts out there and we are especially grateful that you've chosen to ex- uh, to insert us into your earballs today. Don't forget procurementsoftware.site is your one-stop directory for all things procurement tech if you're looking for the breadth of the market, particularly the solutions that are not featured on some of the other platforms or that are not not sponsoring all of the conferences. There are over 300 solutions listed. Go check us out. Let us know what you think. And we'd love to hear your feedback. Take care. See you again next time. Thank you for listening and bye for now.